Welcome to the Heme Consult Podcast, a weekly inspiration infusion for women of color and hematology. Dear woman of color and hematology, Heme Consults is your personal space to rest, recharge, and renew your spirit with a weekly infusion of inspiration from hematologist Dr. Toyasi Anwemena. Every Sunday, Dr. Anwemena will remind you that you are a superstar and have everything you need to succeed in your incredible career as a hematologist. Welcome to the Hematology Sisterhood that will transform your world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Heme Consults podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Anwemena, and it is a pleasure to be talking with you today. Thank you for listening. Today, I'm talking about why poor negotiations happen and It is a great time to tell you that we have a negotiation masterclass that we're doing. Um, So if you, depending on when you're listening to this, it may have already passed, but there will be one coming. If you want to check it out on our website, coagcoach.com events, and you'll find our next masterclass. And we're talking about negotiations and how to negotiate your academic career and signing up people for our Academic Negotiation Academy, which is a 12-week boot camp to help clinicians learn to negotiate their academic careers. Yes, and that includes job negotiations, that includes career negotiations, and mostly focused on clinicians who want to become clinician researchers. So if that's you, please sign up. All right, so today we are talking about why poor negotiations happen. And the theme scripture is Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7. And before I start, I want to encourage you, a woman of color in hematology, that you are your greatest investment. You are the greatest investment you could ever make. The greatest investment you could ever make is in you. And yes, you are worth every investment. You are worth every penny. You are worth every ounce of energy. You are worth the investment. Yes, you are. And... You know, you've been investing in yourself for a long time. And before you were investing in yourself, other people were investing in you. Your parents or your family of origin felt that you were worthy of the investment. And so they created space for you to go to school and maybe even provided financially so you could do that. And then you made the investment in yourself, taking on debt to go through medical school because you were worth the investment. You've always been worth the investment. You will always be worth the investment. And so I just want to encourage you, a woman of color in hematology, to stand your ground and take ownership of your identity and don't let anybody take it from you or tell you that you're not worthy. Don't accept it if they do. Recognize that who you are is a special treasure and you are worthy of every investment. All right, woman of color in hematology, I'm talking today about why poor negotiations happen. And the one negotiation I talk about quite often now was the negotiation I did when I started my first academic job. And I knew I was negotiating, and I knew that there was this stereotype about women not negotiating. So I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to not negotiate. I knew I needed to, but no one had ever really shown me how. I'd never taken any negotiation training. 
I had not been coached to negotiate. I was negotiating by myself. <laughs> oh my goodness. I just want to pause and say that when you negotiate with an academic institution, you have to recognize that they've been doing it for hundreds of years and they have thousands of negotiations under their belt. And you know what? They do not negotiate alone. So you may be talking to just one person, but every time you make a request, they go to their team to analyze your request. They're negotiating as a team. And you show up by yourself without any help, without anybody coaching you. It's difficult to win when you don't have someone on your side helping you. So I'm going to just invite you to think about getting some negotiation coaching in your next negotiation. Don't do it by yourself. They're not doing it by themselves and they've done thousands of these negotiations. You don't do it by yourself. Anyway, back to my story. <laughs> that was a public service announcement from Toyosu Yonawamana. All right, back to my story. So I didn't know better and I wasn't even thinking about it as a big negotiation like that, but it was a big deal. It was my first job out of training. That was a big deal. Anyway, so... When they came with the salary offer, it was really low. I actually started crying. It was so low. I was like, holy cow, did I really go through all this training just to get a salary that was this bad? I really was upset. <laughs> and then I was like, this is so low. This is so low. I've got to negotiate it. And when I went to do the negotiation, you know, it was a phone call separate from the first call. I was like, I, I just remember my feeling. I don't even remember what I asked for or how I asked. I just remember thinking, you know, my palms are sweaty and I had knots in my stomach. I felt nausea. I felt so like, I felt like I was doing something awful and it felt awful, but I knew I had to do it. I knew I needed to negotiate. And so I plucked up the courage and I asked for more money. And you know, to the credit of this young person who'd never really negotiated very much and didn't really re recognize who she was up against in her negotiations, you know, she did the best she could. I got more money out of it than I would have if I hadn't asked. And one of the interesting things is that I was so focused on salary, I missed all the other pieces of the negotiation. And, and the salary I negotiated or accepted was actually a salary I couldn't afford because at the time my spouse was transitioning to with me to a different state and was looking for a new job. So we didn't have the two family income that we needed. We were moving away from a home with an underwater mortgage and we had childcare needs. <laughs> so we were paying for two homes, one rented, one owned, and we also needed childcare and all of this needed to depend on my salary and my student loans were due. <laughs> and so every month we went into debt until he found a job. We went into debt every month just to make that salary work. And I was so ashamed of myself because I was like, who doesn't negotiate well? And now I look back on it and how can I be ashamed when I didn't know better? I mean, it wasn't part of my training and I wish I had had help in that negotiation. And it's okay. There's, it's not a judgment on, on myself. It was just recognizing that there was opportunity there that was missed. And, and the story, and the thing I want to just highlight in the story, because, you know, the title of this episode is Why Poor Negotiations Happen. 
And you have to ask yourself, what is happening to a person who accepts a salary that is too low to support her family? Like, what are the thoughts that are going on inside her? Like, why would I accept such a job? And and I, I would say that one of the things that, that really now is clear to me that wasn't clear to me then was that at the time I was struggling with scarcity and low self-esteem. And I don't think of myself as someone who has low self-esteem, but at that point, as a clinician who had graduated following training in internal medicine and training in hematology, I didn't have strong self-esteem about what that what that had given me, like what value could be created from that space. And so if you think back, and, and my story is not unique, when we were going to medical, medical school and we were applying, we had the sense of anybody that will take me, I will go. I was ready to go anywhere of the places that I did apply to. But definitely when it came to residency, because it's not really, at least as of the time of this recording, a way to negotiate in residency. So you just are like, okay, wherever the match takes me, I go. And the same for fellowship. So I think I had built up this experience of, I just take whatever I'm given. And so, and then there was a sense of scarcity. I was like, I don't, there are not enough jobs out there. <laughs> now it's very funny. I'm like, really? There are not enough jobs out there. Was this the only job? But I wanted to be in academia. I wanted to do research. And it felt like this was the only program at which my dreams could come true. And so I felt like I had to take it. And now in retrospect, I could have gotten a locums job while I was waiting for something to come through. I could have negotiated longer. I could have gotten help. There were so many options I had. But because I was struggling with the sense of scarcity, oh, there may be no other job for me. And I had low self-esteem about the value I could produce. I accepted whatever I was given without question, even when it hurt me. And, you know, I feel sad for that young woman <laughs> who suffered, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say needlessly, because now I can share the story with you and I'm no longer ashamed because now I have better perspective. But scarcity and low self-esteem are a dynamite, awful combination to go into any negotiation. Like you're just not going to be able to negotiate well if you don't understand value and that's not the value of what you're worth as a person, but the value you can create with the things that you have, with the experiences you've gathered, with the training that you have, then you don't negotiate well and you take whatever you're given. And so I was struggling with scarcity and low self-esteem and it came forth in my negotiation. Number two is that my actions could not rise above the level of thought that produced them. So what was wrong was not the actions I was taking, but the thoughts behind my actions. I felt like there was no other program for me. Yes, I had interviewed and a couple of places had said, well, you can start this job and you can do research on the side uh, on your own time, but we're not going to support you to do that. And somehow I felt like, well, okay, this must be the only way forward. So my thoughts of scarcity could only produce scarcity-oriented action. My thoughts that as a hematologist, well, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't able to produce as much value as a surgeon. My thoughts produce the actions I took. I'll just take whatever salary you give me because I'm very lucky to even be offered the salary. 
And I didn't even talk about the fact that I didn't even have an, an administrative assistant, which actually diminished the effectiveness of my salary because, you know, there I was doing extra clerical work that was uncompensated. But I couldn't have behaved differently because my thoughts were driving my actions. And so I couldn't rise above the level of the thoughts I had. I had scarcity thoughts. Therefore, my actions were scarcity-oriented actions. I had thoughts of low self-esteem in the specialty I had chosen. And so my actions were consistent with those thoughts. And so actions can never rise above the level of thoughts that produce them. And so number three is that if I was going to have a different outcome, I would need to create different thoughts. Ooh, I like that. I'm going to say that again. If I was going to have a different outcome, I would need to create different thoughts. I would need to create different thoughts. And so who I am today is a product of the many thought transformations that have occurred for me over the last 10 years. Number one, I don't have any sense of scarcity. I know that there is abundance. Everything I need surrounds me. And if I can't see it, I'm going to look around and find the person who already has access to it. And if that doesn't exist, I will create it. <laughs> yes, I live in a sense and understanding of abundance. And therefore, the actions I take now are consistent with that abundance. I was asking myself today, I'm like, what are you doing? Starting another podcast. Like, do you have time for that? <laughs> And the reality is that everything I'm supposed to do, I can expand to do it. So my actions are consistent with the expansive thoughts that I have now. I do not have low self-esteem about the value I can create as a hematologist. Mm, hematologists are amazing. And shout out to all the hematologists. Ooh, hematologists are amazing. And the value that we create, people can downplay that value, but I recognize the value now. When you don't have enough of something, ooh, that's a precious item. <laughs> yes, it is. I'm precious. I'm rare gold. Mm, yes, precious metal. That's me as a hematologist. I don't have any confusion about the value that I can create as a hematologist. And so my actions are consistent with that. So if I want a different outcome from where I am right now, what I do is create different thoughts. Okay. So what am I asking you to do? It's time to change your experience by changing your thoughts. Whatever you have going on in your life right now, a lot of it is produced by the thoughts that have brought you here. And many of those thoughts are great thoughts, like the fact that you went through and you completed medical school, completed residency, completed fellowship, started a faculty career, thoughts that you could accomplish these things are what allowed you to take the actions that made them true. And anything that you've looked to that you're like, oh, I really want to accomplish that, but you haven't taken action. That's because your thoughts are keeping you from taking action because you don't think your actions will lead you to the desired end. Or you don't think you should take those actions. And so I'm encouraging you to change your experience by changing your thoughts. Examine the thoughts you have right now. Are they the kind of thoughts that are going to produce the action that you want? Number two, 
I want you to recognize your high value and your high worth. So first of all, you are invaluable. Nobody can put a dollar figure to you. So you are priceless. (laughs) People always say, know what you're worth. And I'm like, what you're worth is just invaluable. You cannot put a price on that. What you can put a price on is the value you create. Because the value you create has a market. And the question is, who is in the market for the value you create? Mm. So you are a high value person creating high value things. You are a person of high worth creating wonderful things. And I want to just ask you to recognize that the value you create is infinite because you have infinite value. And what will it take for you to enhance the value you create? What will it take? I'm inviting you to step up to a new level, beginning to consider what value do I create and how do I enhance that value? And that brings me to call to action number three. Take time to develop your sense of self. Take time to enhance yourself. Take time to make the investment in yourself. Because I tell you that you are a person of infinite value. And that means you can create infinite value. But you're going to need to make the investment that allows you to create infinite value. And are you ready to do that? What will it take for you to make the investment in yourself that causes you to recognize your infinite value and your potential to create infinite value. <laughs> Ooh, I love it. I love it. Yes, I'm talking about negotiation. <laughs> At the end of the day, we negotiate value. We exchange value for value. And before you can exchange value for value, you got to understand the value of what you're trying to exchange. Mm. Yeah, you should come to our negotiation masterclass. It's going to be good. <laughs> All right, everyone. I want to encourage you again, O oh woman of color in hematology, that you are here on purpose. You have a reason why you're here. You're going to do awesome, actually. You're already, you're already killing it. You're doing great. And I want to just encourage you to continue to step out in boldness and show up authentically unapologetically honestly you all right as you go forward in this week enjoy it and i look forward to talking with you again the next time